0: Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom-sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today we have an inspirational story of recovery from a warrior I have personally worked with, Clelia Frugel. She is a shiny example of what happens when you ditch diets and stop letting the elusive chase of weight loss your primary marker of success. Clelia and I go way back to the very, very, very beginning of this podcast when it used to be called The Recovery Warrior Show. Now I've since updated the name to The Recovery Warrior Shows because our ultimate vision is to expand, to bring you a collection of unique shows that target different stages and interests in the recovery space. But going back to the beginning of the podcast, at the time, I just released the Rise Up and Recover app to help people with their self-monitoring and reporting of their meal logs. And I was just about a few years working into Recovery Warriors. So this was probably around eight years ago. And on the podcast, I announced that I was opening up one-on-one coaching spots. And Clelia was the first person to sign up. And we worked together for well over a year. And I had the immense privilege of just being able to watch her transform. And it was so cool to see that what I was teaching and she was implementing like actually worked. Like this was the beginning where I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this actually really works. That's awesome. And since then I've gone on to create online programs like Map My Recovery that have given nearly 1,000 warriors the training, accountability, and structure they need to make real change happen. But it all started with Kalelia. And I'm so honored to have her here to share her story and her experience working with me as she recovered from bulimia and binge eating. She has truly become the hero of her recovery story. Welcome to the show, Clelia. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really touched. What would you say was one of the main things that you learned that was a big aha for you?
1: So actually, the big aha was a nail biting challenge. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about how I was going to stop focusing on my body. And you said, I'm going to show you that change is possible. And then I said to you, yeah, I've been biting my nails since, you know, I was a child. I've never had a manicure. And you said, you're just going to stop biting your nails. And I said, it's never going to happen. But then you even made it into a podcast challenge. I mean, the first of uh, many challenges. And then six months later, I was not biting my nails anymore. I just changed. It just happened. And that was a ha moment because I never thought that was possible. But through a little behavior change, it showed me that these behaviors, I could change them.
0: I think it's so important sometimes to have these wins outside of the food in the body. Because if that's an area you have been like, quote unquote, losing so much, like, ah, oh, i like just never can like get this right. And I feel like every time I'm like getting back to where I started, it's like, well, how can I find a win in another area of my life to show me that change is possible. And you actually set up a strategy. I remember, right? You like bought stuff to put over the nails so you (laughs) wasn't as appetizing.
1: (laughs) I started knitting. Um, Yeah. (laughs) To occupy my hands. I had to find, I remember we even talked about like me going to the cinema and what I was going to do with the cinema if I wasn't lighting my nails. Uh, It was But it it taught me an important lesson about being mindful because, you know, nail biting is one of the things that you do when you're being mindless.
0: Mm -hmm. And then how are you? Do you bite your nails now or sometimes? And do you notice like a correlation between your energy or your state of being when you do?
1: Definitely. I, I actually have been biting my nails recently. Every time I get really stressed, so when I had my baby, I uh, literally, in the hospital room, I started biting my nails for the first time in, like, two years. (laughs) And then I didn't stop for six months, because the first six months were quite hard. And then recently, things have been really stressful at work, and I started biting my nails again with the lockdown and everything. So I've kind of – I was thinking about it as I told this story. And actually, I know now that I can stop biting my nails. I – I just need to be aware of it and work on my stress levels and anxiety and I will stop.
0: So you're in the UK now this, I know for you that eating disorder treatment is kind of hard to come by, right? Like, so were you searching for resources prior to finding the podcast and working with me? Like, what was that like for you to, to even get help? Yeah. And it's a very good
1: question actually. Um, so I had, Personally, I had psychiatric support and help as a teenager. So I was in a psychiatric um, hospital for teenagers until the age of 18. But once you turn 18, that's when support started getting really, really, really difficult to get. And I remember being on this waiting list to get um, support for my bulimia for over 10 months. And I think today it's even worse. uh, You have to be a certain BMI to get help. Which is something that um, the charity in the UK, the nonprofit beat is, is working to get people to be aware of. So for me, I was thinking I need to get help, and I also needed needed a type of support that was available for someone who was traveling a lot. So I couldn't attend a weekly appointment in one location. It just wasn't um, possible for me with my lifestyle and my work. So, something that was online with someone who was flexible was 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 amazing, and I think that was one of the one of the first reasons I thought oh maybe 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 working with Jessica would really help me
0: yeah, that's crazy that ten month wait list if you're struggling, and then these requirements where you feel like you're not sick enough if you don't meet them. and many people try to like even get sicker in order to try to meet the criteria, which is just so sad that it's like you're already struggling you're already like in a hard place
1: yeah and some people um also have said you know their doctors doesn't recognize for instance binge eating disorder as a real disorder and they would prescribe them a diet which obviously makes things worse
0: well that was a big one for you as dieting right because I think that you your whole life you have just been surrounded by diet messages uh you, like I know that that was a big part of your upbringing too, is just like you want to diet to control your weight. How was it like for you to first start to reject diet mentality and to start to eat these foods that you've put off limits or you only relegated towards your binges and your purges?
1: So so just a little bit about my background. My father is an obesity specialist. He is one of the people who discovered genes for obesity and diabetes. So all my childhood you know uh, there were all these scientific messages around me about obesity and how being fat is bad and my parents were very worried about me being stigmatized and being rejected and they were very aware of a fat phobia in the world that they just didn't want me to suffer through it so very early on I was put on diet and in a way i had internalized the f- the idea that if i was overweight i would not be, ha- be able to have a career i would not be able to have a life where i wouldn't be rejected and 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 to, s- and to start really thinking about a life where i could be successful independently of my size was the first thing that we had to work on and I know we had many, many conversations about, you know, how people perceive me, and 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 about just um, accepting, you know, whatever body I was I was in because bodies change. And the first thing you said to me, I remember, was to start looking at body diversity. And I created an Instagram account, which was five years ago. I didn't have Instagram at the time, and I only followed the body positive accounts or different body types, able body, disabled body, um, um, bodies um, of all sizes, just start thinking about the fact that all these messages that had been receiving about one type of body being the best body was just not um, the experiences of all the women in the world. And also looking at bodies from around the world. So that was, that was, I think, very important for me. And the second thing was to really understand that this message about diets was not scientific because 95% of diets just don't work. And just start really um, reading the evidence about that and the science about this, because clearly I was just repeating uh, a strategy that was failing over and over again.
0: And you, I mean, I I remember working with you, you did like the science because you were brought up in this household where like your dad's this, you know, big researcher. And so science is law, science rules. And that must have been a big act of courage to kind of rebel against what you were taught all your life or what was the information that you were seeing about obesity and health at every size. Is that something that you and your dad will talk about or do you guys just agree to disagree? Like how, how have you been able to own you what your beliefs are now independent of of his
1: so it's interesting um i i we've had many conversations about about this and and about health sort of resize and i think the concept of metabolic health is still something that perhaps he rejects and i'm not sure i have the um the evidence to support or not support but but the real important thing is to think whatever I try to do to my body, it will not work. And that the science proves, and that's something my father uh, absolutely now agrees with because he, I mean, 20 years or 30 years of research has proved that no diet has ever worked in the long term. Um, and that's something that I think has been a change in, even you know, in general medicine, um, that more and more doctors who will not prescribe diets to their patients. And then it becomes about how we support these people where they're at. How we support people with the health that they have, the metabolic health that they have. And for me, it's important. It's not about I need to lose weight or to, to, ac- to access this treatment or I need to lose weight to be healthier. It's how am I healthier in, in, in the body that I have. And at the moment, it's a small body, actually but I still
0: could be much healthier than I am. And there's physical health and then there's mental health and emotional health. Would you say, because I think a lot of times people, when they're struggling with eating disorder, they think about this narrow idea, of just my body size, right? That's what like health is, like when I get to this size, but there's also like, what are the ramifications of that emotionally, mentally? How much better does it feel if your body's at its natural set point, which maybe is below or above, who knows, like whatever the weight, the target set range for your body is. It's
1: also very disappointing when you get to a smaller size and you realise you're not happier. Because you've been promised this El Dorado where, you know, you're going to reach it and it's going to be amazing. You're going to have all the best relationships in the world, all the jobs, all the friends, all the social life, and none of the anxiety. <laughs> and, and you get to a smaller body and not and not only are you are very, very scared of, you know, not being a smaller body anymore, but also you realize nothing has changed, and and you don't have anything else to pursue, and it is definitely something that you have to get used to.
0: And even you don't have anywhere to place your pain or your suffering or your anxiety, like like all of or like your distractions, like it's like you have to sit with that, and that's part of the reality of just being a human. And a lot of people who, because I think like weight is such an interesting, not interesting, like with eating disorders, some people have to gain weight to reach their set point. Some people actually lose weight because the binge eating keeps them in a cycle that just keeps on adding weight more and more and more. If you accumulate, you know, hundreds and thousands of binges over your life, then your weight just, and so it's, there really is no, every different on how it's going to respond and recovering, what it needs to just be at this set range. But what you mentioned there is so important that, like, when you are at a a, a thinner body, it doesn't it doesn't make your problems go away. Like, it doesn't change the realities of life.
1: So I was in a smaller body, and then I had a baby. Unlike a lot of mums, I you know I put on weight not only during my pregnancy, but slightly. I also put on weight after because I had to juggle a job and a newborn, and it was challenging and i wasn't sleeping and then he turned one and he started sleeping and then my body went back to a smaller um yeah smaller size and it was interesting was the comments that i got and i still get on my smaller body and it's it's it made me feel extremely uncomfortable actually i i just I just, um, I didn't know how to address them. I didn't know how to say, you shouldn't compliment a woman on a smaller body. And and I didn't, and I really wanted to start a conversation, but sometimes, you know, it's a two second conversation with um, someone at the bakery. You don't want to have a, a larger discussion about um, body positivity. But it. it I, I did really think about the fact that oh what I had tried to fight people are just keep on throwing at me like you're you're making a judgment based on my body size and it's 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 still difficult for me to to accept that it doesn't matter (laughs) what other people think um about my body size it doesn't matter if they have opinions because really it's based on their own bias and not mine and it shouldn't affect how i feel um i think that's that's largely something i'm still working on
0: and to just notice how it influences you in whatever direction right cuz you can get a comment in one way about the body a comment in another way about the body and just noticing how that can throw you off whether it's thinking like oh this is good this is bad or putting any judgment onto it
1: we, yeah, because I think
0: a lot of people with
1: eating disorders will say at some point they get addicted to the compliments, and that keeps them sick. And it's 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 very it's very important to to see whether you're being triggered in one way or another and establish boundaries. Uh, around me, I establish very clear boundaries about the fact that I don't want to hear about anyone's diets. It's, a, it's something I say quite early on in conversation with new groups of girlfriends. It's it's definitely the boundary that I need to have with, with anyone.
0: Good for you. I'm so proud of you because I remember boundaries weren't your easiest thing. <laughs> like, it was really sure. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's great to hear. That's so important because then it really just sets like the tone of like the relationship. Like, look, this isn't where we're going to bond. Like, we're not going to be bonding around this. Let's find other things we have of common interest.
1: Yes, and uh, acknowledging triggers and acknowledging, for me, it's also acknowledging to new people that I have an eating disorder. And I say in the past because in the present in the present sense, not in the past tense, because although I, I feel I am re- recovered, I think it's still something that has defined a big part of my life, um, and in a way, will always be part of my existence and my relationship to being and well-being
0: Mm -hmm. well it's really taught you a lot of valuable lessons about about life right like just in general how to take care of yourself even when you're put in the throes of new motherhood right postpartum like talk about a deficiency and ability to take care of yourself with time and like sleep and uh how have you been able to manage that or what ways have you brought in lessons you've learned in recovery to help you Mitigate, mitigate sounds such like a formal word, mitigate motherhood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's really important because firstly, um, self-care is not just about doing the things that you would like to do, but sometimes it's about making choices. So I remember I was feeling really, really quite depressed at some point um, in the first year and I thought, I'm going to exercise, that's going to make me feel better. But then sometimes I had to choose. No, you're not going to exercise. You're going to sleep half an hour more, and that's self-care. Or sometimes it was about you're you're not going to actually spend that extra hour with your child. You're going to le- leave your husband or someone else to take care of him because you really need that time for yourself. So it was also about putting myself first. Sometimes, yeah, I think that learning how to make choices without judgment and just you know, applying the lessons about self-compassion. This was a really hard time. If anyone had described to me that this, this experience that they were having, I would have said it is really hard and felt a lot of compassion and care for them. And I needed to feel the same for myself because I was just feeling like I was not a good enough mother or a good enough anything. Um, so when when I became aware of this, I really looked back at some of the work we had done
0: around self-compassion. That common humanity piece, like the first year is hard for all moms. And this is like not an easy time. It's so important, actually, this common humanity piece. When people hear of self-compassion,
1: they hear self-kindness, which is a big part of it. But I think to be able to universalize your experience and think it's not just you, it, it would be hard for anyone, and it would just it just brings you closer to the experiences of thousands, millions of women. That was really important. I felt so isolated, being one of the only working mums around me, and no one being able to share my experience. So that common humanity piece really helped me I actually decided to connect through Facebook groups with mums from the US because in the US a lot, a lot of mums go back to work really early not like in the UK and and just reading their experiences I was like oh wow someone understands that was really important to me
0: oh well it's been so great talking with you about everything I just love how how much you've embraced the lessons that, you know, we worked with so early on and I can see that you've been able to really overcome the binge eating. Like it it doesn't define you anymore. Right. It's not those moments of where we were just trying to get you out of the bed for the day, (laughs) you know, like those type of moments where it's like first step, okay, get dressed. I I certainly, I certainly haven't had those days. I've
1: never since, you know, we, we worked on it in, I never purged again. I uh, certainly have had binges, but I've never purged again and I've never stayed in bed uh, binging. It's it's a complete, I think it's a complete recovery in, in many ways. It, it's something I never thought was possible before we started working together um, six years ago.
0: Because you struggled this with most of your life, right? It started to become something that you felt was part of who you were, not something that you could... Separate yourself from. Completely, I I had I've had I had bulimia since I was nine,
1: maybe even before that, and my my weight was always up and down, fifty, sixty pounds in each direction, and I always had these episodes where I would binge and not be able to leave my my bedroom, and I really. I really thought that was that was who I was that was a part of my personality now knowing it's an eating disorder and a, a disorder means that actually there was part of my personality in the way the creativity and the art but actually it doesn't have to express itself in in the in the behaviors
0: yeah i mean i think a lot of it's just coming to except there's certain things that have hurt in our lives and that we're able to start to heal from them without always having to hurt ourselves and punish ourselves and keep ourselves in a place of darkness. I know I struggle too with the getting out of bed and the night binges, you know waking up with all these wrappers in the morning and it's like oh gosh again. <laughs> and that can completely change when you're willing to to make changes and
1: and sometimes it's just that you needed that day in bed actually and you I I really have I've thought about this the last couple of years, where I just being maybe hypersensitive when you are a bit artistic or creative, you see all these things, there's injustice, this beauty, and it just exhausts you. And and I think sometimes I almost wonder whether I didn't mean just to have this excuse of taking a day off the word because I was an introvert and
0: being with people is, is exhausting. <laughs> yes. That's so important to, yeah, at that point, because it is, it's like, I always find that binges are often a way for you to get rest or for you to get your solitude and your alone time. And as an introvert, that's that's like such a necessity sometimes to have even the day, like you're saying, if you're, or if also the compassion that if you were just flying from Africa back to the UK, like you probably are jet lagged and need to sleep. And then the perfectionist is like, you need to get up. You need to do this. Like you have all these things you have to do. And it's just like letting yourself rest. Absolutely. It's a difference
1: between, I think, being in 20s and being in your 30s. When you're 30s, you're like, it's absolutely fine that you're not going to this party and stay in bed. It's actually a win. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? Like I get to wake up feeling good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Claudia, so what have been some of the most important things for you to learn to get you to your next level of recovery?
1: The most important thing for me to learn was the fact that change was possible. I didn't have to keep reproducing the same patterns of behaviours, of thoughts, of relationships. And if I worked on other ways of addressing my emotions, of coping with uh, my anxiety, I would not end up in this incredible intense uh, desperate and depressed times that you know follows a few days of bingeing or of bulimia and and and, and I think it, it goes it goes even beyond accepting my body I think that's a larger that's probably a, a larger and a, a longer process to, to just be comfortable in your body. But, but I think thinking whatever I feel about my body right now, I don't have to do anything about it. That is recovery for me.
0: I love that. Totally. It's like whatever thought just came into my mind about my body. I don't need to act on it or give it much attention at all. It's beautiful. How has compassion served you in recovery? I think I think. that talked about it a
1: little bit earlier it was the most important thing is around trying to humanize your your experience and thinking i'm feeling this because i'm human i have a brain and sometimes it's sending me these um signals which maybe i shouldn't listen to and i'm just as capable of being this person I want to be as anyone else and I'm as deserving of the love and care that I I think humanity is. I'm just a person who needs to be taken care of and loved and when she's going through something hard, she deserves compassion. Once you accept this as a truth, the self judgment is not as harsh. And therefore, you don't feel that intense hatred after a binge or after noticing something about yourself that you didn't like or behavior that you didn't like. Or It's just more the noticing and the caring than the intense judgment of the perfectionist who's outraged that something was wrong.
0: That makes all the difference to have that that more loving, kind, compassionate voice meet you in these moments as opposed to the harsh critic I'm gonna beat you up, beat you into shape. <laughs> and and
1: accepting failure differently, right? Because we all go through failures, um, small failures, big failures. Sometimes um, we have to face the fact that something didn't go the way we had expected and that's okay
0: geez, I mean, I saw you change career paths, maybe not paths, but like careers. But like, I think that made such a big difference in your life. Honestly, like just that one change made a huge shift because you were living more in alignment with your values and what you wanted to do. That took a lot of courage from you to, to just put yourself out there to try something new.
1: It's it exactly that. it's the, the trying something new. I think I'm extremely risk adverse as a person actually and to put myself in a position where I could fail is extremely hard and it was just to take a risk. I was so so scared of taking that risk and and failing and I think at some point I realized that it was okay and, I, and actually at the moment I'm, I'm thinking about changing again and that that's what's what's helped me is to have gone through it before and think oh I took that risk then and it kind of worked and they maybe now I can take another risk
0: of course you can is that how courage has served you in recovery it's just ability to take risks and put yourself out there and accept f- Fear. I
1: think it's a Mark Twain quote, which talks about mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. We are all so scared and it's okay to be scared. It's just how we deal with fear. Is it going to paralyze us? And it really used to paralyze me. Or is it going to be something we acknowledge, notice, and then keep living and doing the things we want to do despite the fear?
0: Yeah, the fear doesn't go away. It's like you just do it anyways, do it in the face of fear. How has connection served you in recovery? I think
1: connection is the reason why I have recovered. The, the reason I, I don't know if I ever told you this story, actually. But The reason I found you is because I decided to run a, a marathon or half marathon or something. And I started Googling, and I found this woman who's doing running for plus size women. And it opened my eyes to the idea that being plus size was okay. And then instead of Googling diets, I Googled recovery and I found communities and I found podcasts. And for a year, I really immersed myself in these communities. These um listening to podcasts, yours mainly, but um and also just just trying to listen to the conversation of body positive communities and an activist and fat activist and that that really gave me so much perspective um firstly because I think the eating disorders is, is are often seen through my eyes, the eyes of the relatively small white woman. And to think about you know the experience of eating disorders and mental health um, in general, you know, of diverse populations, really, really eye opening for me. And and also, just be able to connect with people. Your story helped me because I was like, I I think we have a similar story, but you were you were much more advanced, obviously, in your recovery journey and. You shared your story and that gave me hope. So today I share sometimes my story to give other people hope.
0: Oh, Clelia the Warrior. I'm so proud of you. Cause even then, like you were like so much more like I shy and like maybe didn't want to like share your story and now you're open about sharing your story, you're articulate in sharing your story. You have just overcome so much that we didn't even get to on this show, like a woman of overcoming that I've seen a sensitive warrior, but at the same time, strong and capable of hard things. Thank you. Thank you, Clelia Frugel. I have so much love for this woman and I'm just beyond proud of how she took her recovery into her own hands. Now let's go over three key takeaways from this conversation to help you recover strong. Key takeaway number one. A smaller body will not make you happy. Your body size does not determine your happiness, nor is it an accurate marker of your physical and mental health. This can be super hard to wrap your head around when you're in recovery and unlearning all of the diet culture messages that quote unquote thin is in or thin means successful or the notion that your body size correlates to your health. Our society puts a thin body on a pedestal, and this can fuel your eating disorder. But the truth is, a smaller body is not the key to happiness. Clelia explained how this was a hard pill to swallow when her body became smaller, but she still didn't feel okay.
1: It's very disappointing when you get to smaller size and you realize you're not happier. Because you've been promised this El Dorado, where you know you're going to reach it, and it's going to be amazing. You're going to have all the best relationships in the world, all the jobs, all the friends, all the social life, and none of the anxiety. And, and you get to a smaller body, and not and not only you're very very scared of you know not being a smaller body anymore, but also you realise you nothing has changed, and and you don't have anything else to pursue. It is definitely something that you have to get used to.
0: A thinner body doesn't make your problems go away. And a larger body is not a problem in and of itself. A smaller body isn't a better body. All bodies are inherently good bodies and your size is not your worth. Focus on non-physical qualities and markers of your health and happiness as you walk down the road of recovery. So that is key takeaway number one. A smaller body will not make you happy. Key takeaway number two, feel the fear and do it anyway. Perfectionism and overachieving are common struggles when you're living with an eating disorder, and they're often driven by a fear of failure. And sometimes this alone can make you afraid to try something new in your recovery journey or to even start recovery altogether. Clelia talked about how learning to take risks and embrace fear was pivotal in her healing.
1: I think I'm extremely risk adverse as a person actually, and to put myself in a position where I could fail is extremely hard. I think at some point I realized that it was okay and i and actually at the moment i'm I'm thinking about changing again, and that that's what's what's helped me is to have gone through it before and think, oh. I took that risk then and it kind of worked and maybe now I can take another risk. I think there's a Mark Twain quote which talks about mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. We are all so scared and it's okay to be scared. It's just how we deal with fear. Is it going to paralyze us and it really used to paralyze me? Or is it going to be something we acknowledge, notice and then keep living and doing the things we want to do despite the fear
0: choosing recovery and making changes can be scary your fear is valid and if you keep waiting for it to go away before making changes that day may never come remember it's about the mastery of fear not the absence of fear and there's no failure in recovery every step you take big or small is a success in and of itself you got this warrior. That was key takeaway number two, feel the fear and do it anyway. Finally, key takeaway number three, you are not your eating disorder. When you've lived with an eating disorder for an extended period of time, it can feel like it's your identity and like it defines who you are as a person. Clelia shared how she once struggled to separate her identity from her eating disorder. I had bulimia since I was nine maybe even before
1: that and my my weight was always up and down 50 60 pounds in each direction and i always had these episodes where i would binge and not be able to leave my my bedroom and i really i really thought that was that was who i was that was a part of my personality now knowing it's an eating disorder and a, a disorder means that actually there was part of my personality in the way the creativity and the art, but actually it doesn't have to express itself in in the the behaviours.
0: Your eating disorder is something that's affecting you. It's something that you are experiencing, but it does not define you as a person. Recognize and acknowledge the difference between your behaviours and your identity as a person. You are not your eating disorder. So these are three key takeaways from this conversation with Clelia Frugel. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us our Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion like the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this warrior.